0: Most of you, I'm guessing, are calendar people. Uh, There's so much going on, and so many things to give attention to, and it's with every child you have more and more. It doesn't add, it multiplies the stuff that goes on that you need to attend to, that you need to be prepared for and aware of. You need to get there, and you need to get there prepared, and so you better have a calendar for it. Some people have kind of modernize the world and they have their little calendar on their day timer thing that gives alarms and stuff. Some of you are like me and you still do it the old-fashioned way. You write that stuff down on calendars because you know you can't keep all that straight in your head. I don't care what great memory you have or how young you are. It doesn't take long for that to get away from you. And you will be unprepared and not show up and be embarrassed and bring bad stuff. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to see on the screen I used Julia Bristow's this morning for the early service. I'm going to use, this is the Horner's family calendar. I want you to see it. This is what it looks like. they got three kids. It's got to be nuts. And you can't really see it. I didn't want to violate their privacy exactly. So I'm, I'm going to tell you kind of what's on it because I can see it a little more clearly than you. But this is their calendar. It's got all sorts of things like it says on the ninth order school stuff. I, and I guess because, and then it says, school begins first day circled real big on the 14th. So my guess is they homeschool. They have the meanest teacher in the county, I hear. And uh, on the 9th, she ordered stuff to start school. And on the 14th, which is tomorrow, they start school. Now, you got to know that because it, you got to prepare your mind for it. How many of you know? It takes time to prepare your mind that I'm going back to school, right? You know this. Not only that, but probably, probably you two, three weeks ago, at least, you started getting the stuff, getting the clothes ready. you got to have it on your calendar, not just for that day, knowing what you're supposed to do, but you got to get ready for that day before that day. So you got to write it on the calendar. They have some other things on here I find interesting, like, they were at Christ's Quest, the whole family, and so they say exactly the time they leave. I love this on the 11th, which is Friday, 930, Hazel. Hazel, you know, you know what that's about, right? They knew Hazel was having that eye surgery, and they put it on their calendar. I, I'm, we're, we're not forgetting that. That's a cool thing, y'all. That's a really cool thing. I love seeing that, and, and Hazel's not, as far as I know, related to them. But they, they wanted to make sure on Friday they, they had Hazel. Then there's uh, all sorts of stuff. Something's happening in Graham's life on Tuesday. I don't know if it's a haircut or what, but there's something going on with him. But there's all sorts of ball games. They're playing CRA on the 29th, which, you know, they live at Harrisburg, so they're going to have to drive over to CRA to watch. I don't know what that is. And it doesn't matter. The, the, they know what that is. There's, there's sports they're playing, and so they've got to drive all around. And they... <clears throat> They got to write this down because if they don't, they won't remember this, right? That's that's what they do. They live off a calendar, and that's what most of us do. I would think most of you do this to keep your life kind of straight. You ever you ever been uh, eating out somewhere, and a friend comes up, and you haven't seen him in a while, and, and you talk a little bit, and you say, "Hey, we got to get together." Yeah, we got to get together, but you don't write it down. You know what that means? You ain't getting together. I mean, we're saying we should. We talk about it. It would be nice. But listen, until you got it on the calendar, it's all a bunch of talk. It's a bunch of politeness until you write it down. And when you write it down, you intend to get there. Now, I have a question for the Horners. It never says on Sunday go to church. Church is not on there. Now, tonight is because it's second Sunday share it's on there. But, you know, they don't write church down there, and yet they're here every Sunday. So that's so much part of their mindset. They don't have to write that down. They already know that. So that's kind of a a thing. But as you you were listening, I hope, to the passage today, there's one really important thing coming up in the Christian life somewhere that we've got to keep in our minds. And if we forget, we're really in trouble. And it's called the last day or the day of the Lord. You'll notice that nowhere on this calendar does it say this could be the last day. This could be the last day. It could be the day of the Lord. And yet, that's the day that gives meaning and weight to every other day you live. And we know it's coming, right? How many of you know it's coming? Raise your hand. You believe it's coming? Okay, if you know it's coming, but you don't write it down. And that's, here's the problem. And and Paul says, don't write it down, right? He ends up saying this, "Don't, don't write it down. Just Make sure you never forget it, because every day it could be that. Now, here's what the readers were thinking, Thessalonian readers. They were struggling with this day of the Lord thing. Notice the first verse of our passage, concerning the time and the seasons, brothers. The reason he says concerning that, they brought it up to him. Every time he says concerning this, he is referring to a question they've had or a problem they've cited, and they want him to address it. And so he says, guys, concerning the times and the seasons that you asked about, you don't need me writing because there's nothing I can say that you don't already know. We can't, we don't know, we, there, there's no published day. God didn't say when it was going to be. He said that it was going to be, but he never said when. So you can't write it down. And they're like, this is so hard. How do we prepare? And they're going through a lot of persecution, and they're like, when's this ever going to be over? And they want a little bit of help. And some of them even, we're told, are quitting their jobs and sitting there waiting, looking into the sky, looking for Jesus to return. And, and Paul says, I don't want you writing it down. I don't want you getting fixated on dates. I don't want you worried about which day it is. So the, the Horners are right. Don't write it on your calendar. Just live it every day. That just needs to be your way of life. That's what he's going to tell them. What in the world is the day of the Lord? It's so challenging when we can't know this. When you can't prepare for it and look ahead and know and circle a day. That's very challenging for us because we want to know the date and how to prepare. It's so challenging. But what exactly is this day? Well, it's when God says, I'm done. It's when God says, no more patience, no more second, third, and fourth chances. No more waiting for people to respond. My patience is God is very patient, but he's not going to be patient forever. It's when he punishes people who are rebellious. It's when he says, that's enough of that. You've rebelled long enough, and so time for my wrath to come on you. And wrath comes on sin. A holy God. Has to punish sin. That's just the way of his nature. But the second thing is he can't punish everybody. There are some who did respond to him. And so at the same time that he punishes the sinful, he rescues the holy and the believer. He does it at the same time. It's amazing. That's called the day of the Lord. And there's been several of these. Let me bring some to your mind. It wasn't long after he created, well, from the story, because it's Genesis 6, it wasn't long after creation that mankind just degenerated. After that sin of Adam, they just degenerated terribly, and the evil thoughts of his heart were only violent all the time. That's the way it describes it in Genesis. And God says, I'm not putting up with it anymore, and so he wipes out the wicked. But there is a righteous man that he won't, he won't, he won't wipe out, so he spares whom? Noah and his family it's called the day of the Lord he wipes out the earth with a flood but he uses an ark to spare the eight righteous ones that's called the day of the Lord God intervenes but that's not the only one there was these cities on the plain that were so wicked and nothing God could do could change their behavior and so he decides I'm going to wipe them out and yet he won't wipe out the righteous how many righteous are in Sodom Lot and his family, and that's it, and he lets them get away. But then he rains down the fire on that city because it's wicked beyond repair. That's a day of the Lord. That's not the only one. You see, God's done this before. Just in case some people are doubters and they say, God's never really done that before. Oh, yeah, he's done it before. And in fact, one time, his people were in captivity and slavery for over 400 years, and God was done with that. He's ready to bring his people out. The people who bear his name and are his people, he's going to bring them out and he's going to judge the nation that enslaves them. He does it with these awful plagues. He judges Egypt and he rescues Israel. You know what that is? That's the day of the Lord when God says that's enough. It's not the only time. He's also done it to his own people. He says, I'm tired of you worshiping idols. And so listen, you, you don't deserve the land any more than the Canaanites did. If you don't straighten this up, I'm gonna bring the Babylonians in and they're gonna wipe you out. My own people? Yeah, my own people because they're not living righteous lives. And they kept reliving godless lives and God wiped out some of them and sent a lot of them into captivity. You know what that is? That's the day of the Lord. The prophet said, you guys are so excited about it because God's gonna punish the evil. But what happens when you're the evil? They'll wipe you out too. That's a day of the Lord. And then there's one really huge one in the middle of history. We just remembered it a moment ago. When God's wrath against sin was shown in its most graphic form was Jesus on the cross. The wrath of God being revealed, Romans 1 calls it, when God says this is what sin will get and Jesus takes the brunt of it. But here's the irony, at that same exact moment The great love of God is also demonstrated because He offers for that to be your only wrath. Through Jesus, you're spared it. You're given salvation. Though you deserve wrath, you're given salvation because you let Jesus absorb that for you. That's the day of the Lord. It it, it appears in history, it's happened before, and there's one more coming, church. There's one more coming. One more day of the Lord when God says, That's enough. My patience is done. I'm coming to punish the wicked, and I'm coming to bless the righteous with salvation. It's the final day. It's the wrap-up. The parables call it the time when he pulls in the nets and separates the fishes, when he pulls in the crop and he separates the chaff from the wheat. That day is coming, church. It's coming, and there's nothing to prevent it from being this hour. Now, I have a hunch, probably like you, it's not going to probably be today, but it could be, couldn't it? It could be before services tonight. It could be before tomorrow. It could be before you ever have another day of school. It could be. We don't know, but it could be. And so therefore we're aware of it. That's the day of the Lord. And God has this plan, but he doesn't tell us when it is, just that it is. The Thessalonians knew this. I want you to see what they did in chapter 1. This is a description of how they responded to the gospel of Paul. They tell, Paul says, these people around you tell me how you turned to God from idols. Your life completely did a 180 from the way it was worshiping idols. Now you're serving the living and true God? And you're waiting for Jesus to return from heaven, the one he raised from the dead. And look at this last phrase, this Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. They know about the coming wrath. Here's the thing, church. When you talk about the gospel, and I'm all about talking about the death, burial, and resurrection, I'm all about talking about baptism and your response, but listen, the judgment of God in the last day is part of the gospel that we need to tell people. There's a day of wrath coming. There's a day when you will be held account for everything that you do, and your sin will have to face a reckoning, or you will receive the salvation from God through Christ, and you choose. You choose. It's part of the gospel message. That wrath, God's judgment through Christ, is coming, and it's part of the gospel, and we need to tell it. Paul told them, and it motivated them to turn their lives completely around and submit and serve the Lord. So, what's this day going to be like exactly? And it depends on. We're going to go through this passage. It depends on whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, because both perspectives are given. So let's look at it from the perspective of an unbeliever. I'm going to act like you are unbelievers, okay? We have some in here, some who've never responded to the gospel. You don't know God. This is what the day of the Lord will be like to you. So join me at verse 2. You yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. A thief in the night. How does a thief in the night come to your property? Does he give you a postcard in the mail four days before? No. Notice what he says, and here's what it sounds like, because he starts talking about the sounds of the last day. He says, people are going to be saying, hey, it's peaceful around here. We're secure. Everything is fine. There's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape. It is sudden. It is unescapable. It's too late to do anything now. It just, while life is going on hunky-dory, the stock market will be great. The day's weather looks great. The whole perspective of the week looks great you're looking forward to your birthday and your anniversary and doing this and that and you got all these good feelings about how life is going and boom it's gonna be done that's what it's like for the unbeliever he pauses and says but it won't be like that for you believers we're gonna ignore that for a moment It's not like that for us. They don't know that it's coming and they don't know when it's coming. They're completely in the dark. That's why they're children of darkness and night. We are not of the night or of the darkness, verse 5. So then let us not sleep as others do. Do you know what people who are non-believers are doing? They're sleeping. They are sleeping. They will face the wrath of God, he says in verse 9. And right now, they're sleeping. They are completely unconscious spiritually. They're not aware of the spiritual significance of the things they do. They're not aware of that coming day. They're not aware of why God has a certain evaluation of your behaviors. Sleeping means I'm unconscious. I'm not worried about things. I just lull myself to sleep with life. So it might be intentional ignorance, like I just... I've heard it all my life. I've heard Christians say this, but I don't believe it, and so I'm just going to act like it's not there. I'm completely unconcerned about it. Or it might be unintentional. They just don't know that there's an accounting coming. There's many people like that. But regardless, they're totally asleep, unaware completely of the spiritual things around them. And then it goes on to say that they're intoxicated. They're constantly, currently drunk. Now, they are not going around with whiskey in a paper bag and drinking all the time. That would be easy to spot, wouldn't it? But you know what drunk means? I'm so consumed with things of this life. I'm so consumed with earthly, worldly things. I am so mesmerized and inebriated and under the influence of earthly things that I don't even give an ounce of thought to the spiritual import of them. I just don't have time to mess with the spiritual stuff because I'm so consumed with the physical stuff. That's the unbeliever. Now, the things they do are spiritual. They just don't know it. The things they do do offend God, but they don't know it. The things they do pile up the wrath of God against them, and they will pay for it, but they just don't know it, or they just don't care because they're going to live this life to the full and get the most out of this life, and there's no spiritual significance to anything I can do. I can sleep with who I want to because it doesn't make any spiritual difference. That's what they think. And when we talk to them about that, if you ever mention it to them they look at you like what's the big deal i've done it for years and it doesn't seem to have any real consequence they're sleeping and they're intoxicated and because of that when the day comes they're completely taken unaware And it's devastating. The wrath of God for what they're doing is piling up. God is taking notes. God is having a reckoning for all that stuff. And they just don't realize what that means. It's a devastating day and it should bother you. And you might say, well, it's not me, so I don't care. You should care. We should care. This should bother you. This disgruntlement should overtake you and to think my neighbors are living like that and don't even know. They need at least to know it. They at least need a chance to be able to do something about it, so we need to tell them. But that's the day, the last day for the unbeliever. That's the way he describes it here in this passage. But but who's asking this is not the unbeliever, it's the believer. So what's that day going to be like for the believer? I want us to go back through it. I want you to see this. Verse 4, it's not going to be like a thief in the night. We might say, well, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Well, not to you it won't. You don't know when he's coming, but you know that he's coming. So it's not completely sudden. It's not completely out of the blue. You know it's coming. Everyone in here, raised your hand. This, morning. you're not going to be able to say, "God, oh, I just, I, I couldn't get prepared." Oh yeah, you've got plenty of time to prepare. So for you believers, it's not going to be that way. You're in the know. You're daytime people. So let's go back through this verse four again. You're not in the darkness, brothers. You. That darkness that blinds them, it's you've got sight. The daytime is going for you, he says. That day to surprise you like a thief. You're all children of light, children of the day. You're not night. You're not darkness. So don't sleep. There's no reason for you to be asleep. You've been awakened. You've been given spiritual life. When you were baptized, you were given new birth into the spiritual realm. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have ignorance. You aren't blind. You're given sight. You are given spiritual sensitivity. You know that God's got spiritual value attached to every behavior that we have and every thought that we have. And you have a concern to keep that spiritual sensitivity very, very sharp. Don't let the world lull you back to sleep. Do not let them make you forget it. Don't make them, don't make the fact that it's been so long since Jesus told us this that make you, well, I got plenty of time, I'll get ready later. And that becomes a a self-imposed hypnotic sleep that you're under. You're aware of spiritual realities. You're aware of them. Don't tell me. Please don't tell me that there's no spiritual significance to this behavior. You know better. Even little lies that you tell and you say, well, it's harmless. You know better. You know better. The spiritual import of even a small sin takes you away from God and dulls your senses, and you're in danger of being lulled back to sleep. Even a lie. Now listen, we're going to debate the modesty issue all you want to. And there's much debate. There's lots of area of freedom. But don't you dare tell me that what you wear is not a spiritual issue. Don't dare tell me that. You've been given new life and you know it is. Don't fall prey to being hypnotized by all the lies of the world that's asleep. You have your eyes open. You're not a newborn dog. Who you sleep with matters. What websites you go to matters. That moment is a spiritual moment. The words you use when talking to somebody who's a mean girl at school is a spiritual moment. Don't you fall asleep. And then another problem, he says, it's really the same thing, only it's a little bit different. He says, we're we're not intoxicated. We're sober. And it's not just because we don't drink. It's not about alcohol at all. Don't get distracted by that debate, right? This means you don't let the pleasures and the stuff of the world so overwhelm you that you can't think spiritually anymore. You are under the influence of the world's draw. That's called being drunk, and we're not that way. We're sober. We keep ourselves, we resist the pressure from the culture to conform to its immoral ways and its self-indulgent habits that we lose our ability to think spiritually about our decisions. We don't let this happen, and we don't let, you know what the most important things are? The things that intoxicate us are, it's not even alcohol. I don't even want to start that discussion. It's materialism. I want all the stuff of the world and all the toys of the world and I want the big houses and I want the nice job with lots of money and you buy all this stuff that that sustains this vision and in order to fund it, you gotta work your tail end off and you have no time for your family to mature and nurture spiritual things and you can't even be generous toward needs that are important because you have to fund that life from the front end all the way to the back and because of that, it squelches your spiritual life and you can't even think spiritually about how to Spend your money. It's called intoxication. You're so enamored with that girl who's so beautiful. And boy, she is. She's beautiful. She's attractive to you. And because in order to be engaged to her, you've got to disengage from your God to do it. Listen, that's not worth it. It's intoxication. We know the day's coming. So we're sober about how we live each day we can think of the spiritual ramifications of everything so yes go buy the clothes for school but take your faith with you on that shopping trip take it with you and don't tell me we are at the mercy for our choices of the world we're not gonna say well the world only offered this on the rack keep looking Keep looking. That's what sobriety is. I'm serious enough about this to have to look a little further because, you know, you're sober and you're not sleepwalking through this world. That's what it is for the believer. And notice at the end of this, or notice the imagery he inserts here. He says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. This is not the same as Ephesians 6. But you know what this armor is for? What is armor for, church What is armor for? We're fighting. Do you know why it's called a fight? Because you're drawn to it. You're going to have to battle. You're going to have to resist your own impulsive desire to return back to that way of life. And you are going to have to fight. And you've got the armor on. You do. You've got this armor. So God gives you the breastplate of faith. Keep your faith right up front. Don't put it back here. Too late. Put it right here. Your faith needs to walk in front of you and guide you in everything you do. The helmet, the thing that covers your head, gives you, remember the hope of the salvation God gave you through Jesus. Don't you dare let that go to the back of your mind because it will blow the front of your head off. This is going to be a battle to live this way in the world we live in. I'm sorry it's that tough and I'm sad it's that very, very distracting. That's the reality. But God issues to us the armor and he tells us the reason he puts it in here, this is going to be a fight. For God is not destined us for wrath. God does not want to punish us. He's destined you, he says. For salvation through Jesus Christ. He wants to see you there. He died for us so that whether you're living or dead, you're alive with Him. So encourage one another. Consider yourself this morning encouraged, consider yourself reminded. This thing is important. That day is coming. And don't you roll it to the back of your mind and say, yeah, yeah, one of these days it'll happen. This is important. We need to become day people. So how do you get ready for this? There's really only two things he says about it. First of all, obey the gospel. The only way to be ready for the end is by obeying the gospel in the meantime. That's chapter 1. When you realize the wrath to come and you want to avoid it, there is a way to avoid it. God wants you to avoid it. And he offered and sacrificed his own son to give you a way to avoid it. And it's up to you to decide to choose it. We had one young lady choose this last Wednesday night. I don't want to face that wrath ever. She decided. And so she was immersed. She did what she could right now to make that day a good day. And you've got that same time. But there's a second thing he says in this passage. Maintain your readiness. Don't drift back to sleep. Don't let the world lull you back into their intoxicating ways. Don't be enamored with the stuff of this world so that you lose your spiritual discernment. So get right and stay right. And this isn't the only place that he talks about that. Listen to Romans Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. Does that sound familiar? For salvation is now nearer to us than when we first believed. We're closer to the end than we were yesterday and a year from a- ago. Right? We're, we're getting closer. The night is far gone. That way of living worldly, it's gone. There's no reason for it. The day is here. We're day people. And so he says, cast off the works of darkness... Put on the armor of light. And there's the armor again. It's all here. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. This is how daytime people walk. Not in orgies and drunkenness, playing world's games. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not flirting with the senses of the body. Listen, your body yearns to go back. you got to tell it no. Don't play around with that stuff. Not in quarreling and jealousy. Get in together in community and don't let yourself get distracted. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make any provision for the flesh to obey its desires. Don't you make any provision. Paul's serious. We need to be serious about this. So on your calendars, whatever you put on there, whatever you put on, put it on there. Make it. Show up. Be salt and light. Influence this world. All that. All that. But don't forget that any one of those days could be the last one. And it will be awful for the unbeliever, but it will be awesome for you. But when you get around people who don't know that, be sure to tell them the gospel. When you tell them the gospel, tell them about the grace of God, the love of God, the wrath of God. Tell them the whole story and tell them about the day. They need to know about the day. And they need to be able to see from you how to live today for that day. So get ready, stay ready, be ready. Because at any time, the day could come. This morning, if you find that you have messed around and never made that decision. You're like, man alive, I am not ready. Get ready. It's a perfect time for it. If, you've been, if you have gotten ready, but you find yourself sleepy about that day, sleepy about your concern for it, or intoxicated by the world, and it's threatening that readiness, make yourself ready again. You may not even need to come forward at all, but you need to get your mind right. Whatever it is that you need to do, make it to where if that day was today, It'll be an awesome day. Whatever you need to do, make it known as we stand and as we sing.